0: good morning church good morning city life good morning visitors family friends uh everyone out there uh so happy to be with you guys again so happy to welcome you guys back into our televangelism ministry here at city life um this is i just counted this is our 18th sunday online and it's been a trip it's been a lot but i i pray that uh God is still with you. God is still at work in this world. He's still at work in our church and I I love you all more today than I did when we started this and we miss you and so uh this series is really coming out of this place of love of of God's calling us to take more steps to grow in our faith to be more mature. Uh, a couple of years ago a boss of mine, someone who I really trust, uh who's known in the district Dr. Wanda Wildborn now. Um she had this vision when we were praying she had this vision for me and she said Pedro I picture you in a ship like one of these old ships where there would be people downstairs rowing and you keep on rowing and you're in chains and there are shackles on you and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and and then all of a sudden your chains come off you realize that you're free you go to the top of the ship you look around you spend a couple minutes there But then you go downstairs again, and you put the chains back on you, and you start rowing again. That was a word that hasn't left my heart ever since all those years ago. I also see the same in my attempts to get more physically fit again. I have noticed that the older I get, I want to be in better shape. I want to be like I was when I was much younger. And then so I'll commit to something and I'll go. And for like, ah, last time I exerc- I exercised almost 12 days straight. I was feeling good. I was seeing the results. I was like, wow, sadly enough, wow, I get really happy when I do five push-ups. And I get five push-ups in and I'm like, man, I feel so good. And then all of a sudden I just get satisfied. It's not always the stress of life it's not always the bad things that happen in life but even in success sometimes I just get satisfied and I'm like oh man that's great God I can do five push-ups and I forget that maybe I'm supposed to be doing 10 and maybe I'm supposed to be doing 20 or 50 maybe I'm supposed to keep on pushing there's a number of push-ups metaphorically speaking here that, I, that I'm supposed to reach and that I'm supposed to keep on going I don't even know the limits of what I should be going after I just get satisfied and I stop and I stop growing. I go back in the ship. I go back downstairs, and I and I put the chains back on me, and I start rowing again. And this series is really God using that to speak into my life, and to speak into what I think uh, our church's life is. That we need to be take this posture of growth, of maturity. Of Lord, we believe in you. We've settled that. We believe in you. You are Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Um, But how do we go deeper? How do we keep on going? How do we go to 10 push-ups, to 20 push-ups, to 50 push-ups, 100 push-ups? How do we keep on going? How do we become so emotionally healthy as your followers? People are acquainted with grief, acquainted with the sins of the world, and yet it, it propels us forward. Not only just stops us, but it propels us forward. It propels us to you. How do we become emotionally healthy, how do we become spiritually strong and unshakable? How do we go from just being infants in, in faith to being these strong, strong people that go forward and that everything propels us forward towards you? How do we do this? City Life Church, I, I fully believe that knowing Jesus is the way to God, that Jesus is God himself who came here and died and rose again, and who offers of salvation. There is no salvation apart from knowing Jesus and knowing his name and what he did for us. Um, but City Love, I think God is calling us to, do, to, to go into more, to go deeper, to grow some spiritual muscles here in this season. Even though we're in a pandemic, even though we can't be together, I, I don't believe that that changes our call to dive in and, and know God more and take giant steps of faith forward as a church community. To do things that we never thought were possible, even when we were meeting together. How do we do this? How do we become a tighter community? How do we welcome in people? How do we be evangelistic? How do we do outreach? in this? How do we do all of these things and keep on going forward and not, not saying, you know, I'm good. Or, oh, Lord, we are doing such a good job 18 weeks. And no, like, how do we keep growing in our faith? And not even just in this in, in pandemic, but with all of this, uh, the crescendoing of this racial unrest that isn't new, that it has always been here. And right now it's just crescendoing and it's getting our attention finally. First time in a long time. How, how in all of this and the brokenness of the world and all the hate, all of the videos that we're seeing online right now, all the Karens and, and all of these things, how... How does all of that, how can that propel us closer to your heart, to you, to what you're doing? How does that cause us, God, I need your grace and I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness. I need your humility. I need to show the grace that you have always shown me to others, especially to those that I do not want to show it to the most. How do we do that? How do we let this faith thing, this Jesus thing produce something in us that we know is not ours? It's countercultural? It's even counter what we want. And this series to me, this this look into first and second Peter is an answer to this. It's a church. we need to go, we need to dive in we need, we need to go places. we need to mature, we need to grow up. we ne- need to let this suffering reach our hearts. So and not numb ourselves so that we can go forward and we can actually do something and let this produce holy things in us and in our church and hopefully in our city. We pray in our city. So whether you've been a a brand new Christian, whether you are a brand new Christian or you've been a, a follower of Jesus for 30 years, time alone doesn't dictate how mature we get, but intentionality and giving our hearts to Jesus and giving our suffering to Jesus through asking questions like, <laughs> where does my life look remarkably different than the rest of the world? Or even where I was last year? Where does my my faith propel me even further? Where in my life do I still act or feel like a child emotionally? Am I emotionally present? Am I emotionally developing as growing up and, and matching my emotional stability with my cognitive learning of Jesus? How... how How are we doing this and how are we going forward? How are we diving deeper in? Are there areas of my life that I know I need to look and respond more like Jesus than I do right now? Are there places in my heart that are still hard and not forgiving and grace-filled to others? Or that the wounds in my life are just keeping me from an abundant life that you promise us to? Freedom for us and freedom for the oppressor. Are there these areas... Do I even pray, Lord? Do I even pray? And, and when I pray, do I pray like I have this spirit in me that raised you up from the dead? Do I believe that? Do Does my life show that I believe that? Does my posture show that I believe it? There's a lot of questions. This series is, is hopefully going to bring up a lot of questions for all of us. And I pray that they all point us to a greater maturity in our faith a greater living out of our faith in in all of the backwards way that the ups, that this upside down kingdom of God is to our nature to human nature and to the world. And so today we're picking back first Peter. We're diving into first Peter and we're we're taking in all of the harsh realities that we know go on in the world. We're not ignoring those. We're not putting those aside and we're saying Lord, in this broken world with my broken heart, how can I look more like you, more like you today than I did yesterday? And how do I look even more like you in a month from now than I do right now? How can I take this pain that I have inside of me and let you produce something holy that you've already promised in chapter one, you're gonna promise again in chapter two? How do we do this? How do we take our broken hearts and let you do something and grow us up, take us from being spiritual infants to spiritual giants how do we do this and now we're doing this by taking a look at first peter we're finishing off chapter one and we're entering into the first 10 verses of chapter two and this is really the idea that we're covering today is that god is at work and he's building something and so it's this god is at work and he's building for his people that's the big idea today Let me pray as we enter into this to see how, God, what are you building, Lord? What are you building for us here that will cause Peter, this man, to write to Christians who are being persecuted and killed and say, keep on going. It's actually a good thing. Keep on going. How do we accept that? How do we live that out in our world today? So please, please pray with me as we enter into the rest of today's word. Lord, There is too much going on in this world for us to be able to do it without you. We believe that you are the source of everything, that you are building for us a future, that you've built for us a way to know you, to be reconciled to you, to accept you as our Lord. And so what are you building now? What are you building in the world today? How are you making sense of all of this? And how do you work in your people to know you and to be strong? to live these peculiar lives that you call us to live, Lord. Lord, I pray that as we read your word, your Holy Spirit, we invite you into this time, we invite you into the reading of the word, the explaining of the word, the diving into your word, Lord. Make our hearts come alive like never before and help us to dive really, really deep with you in this series so that we can better know you and better live our lives for you. I pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ lord be with us amen so this week we're back into first peter we're back into diving into this letter that was written by this man who walked with jesus himself who through the course of his time with jesus was radically changed and up until when he received the holy spirit and decades later when we see this writing he is a changed man he is not like the man, the brash man that he was before, the brash, proud, loud man that he was before. But that he's decades into being a pastor who is still in love with his Savior, his friend, who still has this devotion. And he's actually now writing to this group of Christians in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, a persecuted part of the world uh, for Christians, for newly newly formed Christians even. And he's saying, don't, don't give up on Jesus, don't give up. Don't let go of your faith. I know that some of you are being persecuted. You might even be facing death. You're losing your family. You're losing your job. You're losing your income. You're losing everything around you. But you're actually gaining so much more because you're actually starting to live for the first time. Hold on to your faith in Jesus. And last week we talked about how we are called to live in a living hope, a hope that is never driven by our circumstances, but actually always rises up above him and says, oh, we, we love this Jesus, we love this man that we have been introduced to, and don't, don't let go of him. No matter what comes up, no matter what you face, Peter's urging them, he's saying, don't, don't let go of Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's producing something in you that you can't even imagine, that you can't even see. And it's all based on this one person, Jesus He's our living hope. He will never die again. He's eternal, and He is all things are were made by Him. Don't let go of Him, because if you have Jesus, then what can be taken away from you? What can be really be stripped away from you? This a uh, uh, key word in this season for all of us has been what's essential and what's not. Right? Who are essential workers and who are not? And Peter, <laughs> Jesus is the only essential thing. Brothers and sisters, don't let go of this. Don't let go because even if death comes at your door, you'll live again with him. So don't don't let go. No matter what the world throws at you, no matter what kingdom of darkness throws at you, no matter what you're going to lose, hold on to Jesus because Jesus is giving you everything. He's saying that God himself is in you that he is living his life with you, empowering you to know him through suffering and to make sense of suffering. So don't let go. Now, I, I think that's really easy for us to say because honestly, we have never really been persecuted for our faith. We might have been made fun of once or twice. We're probably even just more afraid of being made fun of than anything else. But It's easy for us to say, but Peter, this man here who was beaten, who was ostracized, who was uh, hunted, is saying, don't let go of Jesus. There's nothing worse than losing Jesus. Remember him. Remember his death. Remember the life that he lived. Remember that he rose again. It's essential. That everything that's being stripped away from you, though it might hurt, though it might have been precious, don't let go of Jesus because you're paying a price. That's too high. I, I I love this paradox that we see here in Scripture. I love how Peter tackles it head on about when he talks about suffering. Suffering according to First Peter and the New Testament. It's like this refining fire that we talked about last week. That is just this unexpected gift. This unwanted gift that none of us want, but that it produces something good in our life. It's this purifying fire that keeps on removing all of the extras, the things that we don't need, the things that we tell ourselves are important or that the world tells us is important. All of the safeties that we try and build on our world so that we are not in need. But Jesus is saying, just hold on to me and I'll make sure everything else is good. And so today we stand on that message from last week about this living hope and we see where Peter is developing this call. He starts to talk about how God is building something really precious, how God is on the move, he's active, and even through our suffering he's building something in you and for me. And in all of this madness God is doing something, he's doing his work, the only thing that he can do. And so how does the gospel help us to suffer and know him and be pointed back to him? What, what's, what's this thing? When I say God is building something for us, what is he building? What is the thing that he's instilling in you and me and taking out? What are all these things that he's doing? And the first thing that we need to talk about today is that God is building his family. So let's throw it over to Kim right now and allow Kim to read the word to us today and start to see how, what God is doing, how he is building a family.
1: Good morning, City Life. My name is Kim McCormick, and I am here with the scripture reading for today, a reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: I I love how Peter starts off this portion of, of our scripture this week. From chapter 1, verse 13, all the way to chapter 2, verses 10, He's really setting up this theme here, this powerful, beautiful theme about how uh, God is building his family and how he's keeping his family. You know, family, we we talk about that a lot, but I I wonder sometimes how well we develop this or how well we really, truly grasp. Because, yeah, you're my brother and you're my sister, but then does that inform the way that we live our lives together? But the first thing that Peter tells, the first place that he starts, he's writing to these persecuted Christians who are wondering if they should stay with Jesus or not, who are struggling to keep their faith. And he takes this left turn here that surprise, that should surprise us. And he starts talking about how we should be holy, how we should, uh, here in, in chapter 14, it talks about how we should not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That God is holy. He's this holy God and he's calling us to be holy in the same way that he is. And I, I love part of this about how God never gives us permission to sin, that we are called to follow him, to not give ourselves the room, oh, like, oh, maybe I can do this, or oh, oh, maybe I can do that. That might still be okay for me to do, but he says, no, that is never the option. Never give yourself permission, never give yourself room to, to put sin in your life. Uh, you were ignorant, but you're not ignorant anymore because you've been ransomed. He talks about it here. You've been ransomed, and by it's the blood uh, of Jesus that paid the price for you to come and experience freedom and go out of darkness. So don't conform again because Jesus, the highest price was paid, the most precious thing that ever existed on this world was paid for you to know God, to know freedom to not be in the kingdom of darkness anymore and your freedom was bought with the price that jesus' life and his blood came, and he paid the price for you and for me and so don't let your don't let yourself sin when you're struggling in your faith when you're struggling to hold on don't let sin come in because because it's not going to help you it's going to oppress you it's going to keep on keep it's going to keep you where you have been all along and then he he goes on to talk about this in in verse twenty two that having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart it's just holding ourselves to this standard of holiness, this standard God's standard, we have to do this because it's actually purifying our souls that our obedience to christ to the the truth that he gave us is purifying us so when we say "Oh, be holy don't sin don't do this it is because oh we're trying to spare you of pain in your life i'm trying to spare myself from further pain in my life it's that too but it's because obedience to christ is a purifying thing in your life and one of the outcomes that we see that is that there is this brotherly love for one another a sincere brotherly love for one another—it's earnest and it comes out of, of pure heart. I love the word sincere here. I love the word sincere in general. Sincere literally means without wax, and the re- the the reason why that word means what we think it, what we know it to mean now, is because in ancient times um, pottery was much harder to do and much harder to have a perfect product at the end there would be cracks and there would be chips when you heat when you heat it up and to cover this and to still be able to sell it they would fill all the holes with wax and the idea in this word is without wax is that this love of yours you know is genuine you know you're not faking sincere is this word that only you can really judge for yourself you know with are you acting are you putting on a show are you faking it Since do you have this sincere brotherly love for for one another god is building this family and so do you really really love us do you really really love me do you really love your neighbor are you accepting of them are you giving them grace are you forgiving them are you asking them to forgive you and it's all because of this obedience to christ don't be conformed to your past passions but accept what jesus is doing i love how Peter is saying, let's let's grow up here, guys. Let's mature. Let's go where we've never been before. Let's let Jesus filter all of these things out. Jesus is like a Brita filter. If we hold ourselves near him, if we live these holy lives to him, if we just say, Jesus, I'm going to hold on to you. I'm not going to let go of you no matter what comes my way. I'm going to hold myself to you no matter how hard or difficult it is. That's the suffering and the waiting and the, Jesus, you're my hope, is cleaning us, is purifying us, is producing this love in us, this sincere, earnest love from a pure heart. So one of the one of the jewels about suffering that we often forget is that it produces purity in our life. Is that it removes what's non-essential, it removes the things that hurt us and keep us in bondage. And by holding ourselves to Jesus by trying with all of our strength to live these lives that please him, that follow the ethic and the teachings that he taught us, that we're being purified in the process. And it, and in this section here, one of the things that I love that Peter does here is that he starts doing something unexpected, something that was actually even quite offensive and scandalous at the time to anyone who was um, Jewish and following Jesus. He starts taking up Old Testament Themes, Old Testament ideas, Old Testament identities. And he starts applying them to Gentiles. He starts saying, everything that God has been doing through Israel applies to you now too because of the life and the death of Jesus Christ. So these Gentiles in Turkey, in Asia Minor, he's saying, hold on, hold on, you know what? Because all the promises God has ever given to his people also now because of Jesus have been opened up to the world. You are part of his family. He has grafted you and he has adopted you. He calls you son and daughter, the same as he does to me. And this to us, I mean, we are technically all Gentiles, so it might sound great to us, and might make perfect sense, but it was quite scandalous at the time. I love here in, in where he starts, even in verse four, uh, 13. The ESV is not the best translation of this. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action which is great, but the, the more literal translation here is that he says, gird up your loins. They would, be, they would wear these long clothes, and girding up your loins means tie, getting the, the ends of it and tying it around your waist. Get ready for work. Get ready to get dirty. Get ready to be active. This life of following Jesus is not about sitting around being comfortable, being too successful about getting carried away in, in the success that we face. Gird up your loins. Get ready for some work. You're going to get dirty. This isn't an easy life. And this is actually the same thing he told uh, Israel when they were getting ready to leave slavery in Egypt. He told them in Exodus 12, gird up your loins, get ready. This isn't going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And then in, in verse 15 to 16, he tells them that they are the new holy people in the wilderness, that they're wandering, that they're looking for a home, that they're following to God's voice, that he's training them to learn him, to know him, to be have this intimacy with him, that there's no place that they call their own or their own home. But God is saying, hey, you belong to me. Don't worry about a home because you found one in me. You're wandering in the wilderness and I'll take care of you and I'll make sure every one of your needs are met. I love that. That's beautiful. In verse 17 and 21, he also talks about how they are the people of the New Exodus, and he brings up the Passover again again, going back to Exodus twelve that jesus' death was the true Passover sacrifice that we all needed, that we, you and I and all of us we get to join in the lineage that we get to say, "Oh Jesus, Jesus was my Passover lamb, and he paid the price, and now I'm his, and he owns me." And I get to live this life with him. He's producing good things in me because he paid the price for me. That's how much he cares for you and for me. And then in verses 22 to 25, he starts talking to the Peter, starts talking to them about how they are God's new, the people of God's new covenant that they have been giving this imperishable seed that was promised all the way back in Isaiah 40 and also in Jeremiah 31. He's saying, you know, what? <laughs> this isn't an accident. This isn't, you don't just, you haven't just stumbled on this, but God has over and over and over again worked it out so that he is building a home. He's building a family for himself. And now it's extended to everyone. And there's no one who, can't receive this beautiful message who can't receive this home now i hear peter's heart in this peter's pastoral heart crying out in this all the time he's saying brothers and sisters keep on fighting don't let go gird up your loins get ready it's going to be difficult but it's going to be worth it cuz we are his new we are his people we are his family god has not left us or called us into something that is too much for us though we lose everything so we even lose our lives, don't, don't let go of Jesus because it's the most important thing, the one thing that we can't lose. God is making us a family so that we can do this life together, so that we can have this community to, sh- to spread his word all over this world and all over this globe and, and bring people out of their former passions and former ignorances. I love Peter's pastoral heart for us. I love how he's just urging his fellow brothers and sisters to say, hold on to Jesus. Don't let go of your faith. This is the most precious thing. Don't let go, no matter what the cost is. But Then he goes on in chapter 2, and he takes it even further. He talks about two more things that God is building. And, and now we need to talk about how God is building a new temple. Let's let Kim read the rest of this to us, chapter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And let's see these next two things that God is building for us.
1: A reading from 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: I love where Peter goes in here. I love what the Holy Spirit causes to come out of this man here. This is so beautiful, it's so poetic. I love this promise that we have in scripture, starting in chapter 2, starting with the first. Peter starts talking about this living stone that was rejected by man. And he's calling us to be these living stones. And we might read this and we'd be like, oh, what's going on here? The only thing uh as the stone of heart which is a bad thing is another metaphor that is are you calling us to do that i thought we we're supposed to have a living heart a new heart a, a soft heart not a hard heart but here uh the idea of being a living stone for god is so beautiful and it's this i love how how peter again calls takes up this call to be holy to live holy lives to live set apart lives and I just want to say here, I want to be careful with my words here too, because at no point in, in Scripture, at no point in God's Word, does God give us the freedom or the liberty to have sin. Big sins or the little sins that we think might be okay. Like, no. This call is for us to live holy lives. But God also knows that we're not perfect. That before, until we meet Him face to face, we're going to have these broken hearts. And He's working in us. He's sanctifying us all the time to make us look more like Christ. But really a better idea of of what this is calling us to, to be holy, to live holy lives, is in the definition of what holy really means. Holy means set apart. That when we say, God, you are so loving, the fact that he's holy, the the fact that he's set apart is, oh God. uh, He is loving, he is love, but he is so much more than anything we understand about love. He's set apart from love, he's so much bigger than than even our words and our ideas. And so this idea of setting apart is that we live lives that are peculiar, that are odd, that are different, that point and prove that, oh, there's something a little bit off about you, there's something that makes you different from the rest of us. And that this is the call to God's whole community is to, is to live this set-apart life, is to stand out, to not be like everyone else. To not be weird just for being weird's sake. For not being radical just for the sake of us being able to say we're radical and that we think we're actually better than normal Christians. No, it's not. An, it's not anything about that. But it's it's about living lives that are. That's, there's something different. There's something different about you. There's something different about the way you live or the way you react to things or or the ideas that you talk to me about. There. There's just something. A little odd about you. There's something peculiar about you. And this is, this is also what this living stone is. In Jesus' day, in, in their culture, in their customs, whenever God did something for you in life, you would look around you, and if it was important enough, if it changed your life, if it really impacted your heart, if it changed the course of what you were doing, if you saw God act powerfully in your life, you would look around to find a big stone. And whenever you found the stone, you would pick it up, it was laying down, you would pick it up and set it standing up. You would put it in the ground, you would dig a little hole for it to stand up straight, and it served as a monument of sorts. It served for everyone to look at that living stone, whether you're walking down the street or you're on going to another city. If you look around and you see that standing stone, that living stone, and you say, oh, God did something here for someone. This is holy ground because God met someone and God did something powerful in their life. And by Peter calling us to be this living stone, is that, oh, that people can look at you. They can be around you. They can work with you. They can be your friends. They can be a coworker, They could be someone that you just see on the sidewalk all the time and see that there's something odd about you. There's just something a little bit off. That we so embody and accept God and so live for him in in the details, in the giving him our entire hearts, of letting him produce hearts in us that that beat really strongly, for us to be really emotionally present and be able to help people through their struggles as well as we help ourselves. And people say, oh, there's actually something about you. What is it? What's going on here? Why? Well, I thought you were going to act like this. Or you don't act like everyone else acts. Or, oh, that was actually really harsh. Why, why are you so calm? Or what's this peace? I love this living stone. I love this idea that we are like living, walking monuments for Jesus. For people to come up to us and say, what, okay, what do you have that I don't? In? And then we always take advantage of those situations and say, well, you know what? It's Jesus. Oh, you know what? I, let me tell you what God has done for me. Let me tell you what God has brought me out of. Let me tell you why I'm a little bit different. Why I'm a little bit odd. Why I'm not who I used to be. Why I have grown. And I also love how, how Peter here puts that is a rejected living stone. Because there will always be a sense of being... When you're a little different, you're not like the rest of us. What's going on? What's different? What's special about you? What's wonderfully odd about you, I think, is the best way that I've been able to describe it. There's something wonderfully odd about you. And the promise that we see here, the promise of Peter saying, live like these stones, be these living stones, is walking monument to, oh, Jesus did something for you, and it makes you be a little different. It makes you live this set-apart life. And the promise of this we see here in verses 4 and 5. And honestly, our English kind of uh, robs us of a lot of this meaning because in the English language, it's really hard to express uh, plural use. In other languages, this is very, very easy. But let's read verses 4 and 5. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ church when we live the, this life when we are when we accept this identity as a living stone, when we let God do this mighty mighty work in us, when we let him take us from being infants who need spiritual milk and he grow up and we actually get we start eating on some meat, and we start growing up. And no matter if you're 10-day-old Christian or 30-day, 30 30-year 30 Christian, that there's producing something in you that is making you mature and go deeper and understand more, you become this living stone. And by becoming this living stone, this plural you, which is difficult in English to capture, you, we, y'all, or yours, I know yours isn't a word, but it's the same idea, that... Y'all are becoming a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. And so here in, in First Peter, we're told that God is building himself a temple. He's building a home. And he's using you and he's using me. And together, we're, we're becoming this spiritual house to be with one another, to live with one another, to suffer with one another, to process life with one another, to go deeper, to sharpen one another that so God, God is calling us and he's causing us to be home with one another I think we can accept that we can accept that idea but this is why our church is built around community it's not built around a pastor it's not built around our program it's not built around us pouring a lot of money into things that aren't very essential to the gospel but it's about us pouring ourselves into Jesus and letting him pour us into one another it's to suffer together to learn to grow deeper, to go into the word, to pray like we have this spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to pray like we have this guy in our corner, this God in our corner who made everything and can can make a way for us. That's why Peter's saying, hey, don't let go of Jesus because you're actually a part of this family and God's making you into a home. And even though, even if you're losing your family, which a lot of people in Asia Minor were, even if you're losing your entire culture, Jesus is saying, no, you're gaining a home that God is giving you a family, that God is knitting us so closely together that we'll be able together to be a priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, that this life of living for Jesus isn't just about you and what you can accomplish and what you can know, but it's about how you live with one another. This brotherly love again, this sincere, this genuine, this pure heart, this obedience to Jesus, it all comes together. Jesus is through suffering, pushing us deeper and deeper and deeper, and the more we do not let go of Jesus, and the more we actually turn to him and run to him when time gets hard, you know what, you're being made into a home, you're being given a family, and that, man, that's beautiful, and that's so poetic, that's so lovely, that God never meant for you to do this alone, or suffer alone, or to lose things alone, but that you're actually always gaining more than you're losing. And, and, and so this brings us to the third thing that Jesus is is building, that God is building through his church and through the suffering of all of the believers, and it's that God is building a priesthood. Read with me verses nine and ten. Verses nine, verse nine says this, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession." that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God is building for himself a people who are a royal priesthood. And I love that. I love how God is calling us here today to be holy, to live set apart lives, to live lives that are different, that are wonderfully odd, to be these living stones because he's building us into a family, to be these living stones that just that live and go about our days because we are changed beings, because we're not who we were five years ago we were not who we were two weeks ago hopefully that we are different and we look more like Christ but you know what just go out and live talk about me live me out and then people will see people will know that there's something different about you because of the work that Jesus has done while we live in this holy house together with one another in our community and in this shared bond that we have with Christians all around the world and throughout all the time, and that all of this is coming together, it's also making us into a royal priesthood, a people who will represent him to all nations. That God has always loved the entire world. He chose to work through Israel for a time, but now he's built up his church to reach the entire world until it culminates in when we get the tree of life back in, in Revelations 21 or 22, I believe it talks about, and how the, the fruit of this tree of life is for the healing of the nations. That God is building you and me into a royal priesthood to go out and represent him, to point people back to him all, all the time, and that even through our suffering we do that. That it's not through being the most capable evangelist. That it's not always supposed to look like Billy Graham, though. Praise God for Billy Graham. Sometimes it's through us messing up and apologizing to someone. Or, or responding with peace. Or extending forgiveness. Forgiveness rocks the world every time we actually do it. And, and we do this because God is promising himself to us. He's saying that, you know what, we are a people of his own possession. To proclaim his excellencies, to tell the whole world, you know, I was in darkness, but God brought me into his marvelous light. And he says that you are a people now. We used to be wandering. We used to be scattered. We used to have no place and have no purpose. And we used to be confused and have no home. We used to be in darkness. Like Paul we covered weeks ago, it scales over our eyes. We just did not know where we were going. But then God's marvelous light comes into our life and it changes everything. And it causes us to go deep. And it causes us to suffer and to try and make sense of all the suffering in this world and point people and ourselves and our hearts back to Jesus while we hold on to him with tight fists, with, with knuckles that are getting tired at times and say, Jesus... I don't want to go anywhere from you because you're making me into this priesthood to go around the world and to show everyone who you are because you have done a mighty work in me. You have shown me how good that you are. But don't worry because you don't do that alone because God's also giving you a family. He's building you a home. He's building other priests with you to go out That it's not just me as a pastor or Ryan or Michael, but that we are all holy, royal priests. Not because of our merit, not because we are all that, not because we're ever good enough, but because that's what God speaks into us, and that's where he's making us. And what a wonderful promise that we get to do this with one another, that we get to suffer with one another, that though we'll never be perfect until we meet him, we can live these lives that are set apart that are look different from the rest of the world. We can represent Jesus exactly where we are. In our corporate jobs we can live holy set apart lives. Uh, we can be living stones in corporate America, pointing people to Christ and winning souls in corporate America. That's a good thing. We can also you can go work in nonprofits for your whole life and we can look different there. We can be this living stone there. We need to actually be exactly where God is calling us to be. We need to say, yes, Jesus, what do you have for me? I'll go and do it, and I'll be a living stone. I'll, I'll live a set-apart life there, and I'll constantly be pointing people back to you. I'll deal with the ugliness in my own heart, and I'll also wrestle through all of the difficulties of life with you and with one another because I don't want to be this infant anymore. I want to grow up. I want to take giant steps in my I want to be emotionally present all the time. I want to have a heart that can really grow what's going on in the world and bring you into it and let you bring this fire in me that I can't do in myself. And and so to conclude this sermon, I I don't really even know, uh, even right here, I don't really know how we close this sermon. I don't know how we can sum all of this up. I don't know how we can capture how profound all of this is. I know that my words have not been enough this week for us to really understand how we were Gentiles. We weren't even God's people, but yet God made a way and he's building all these things for us. He's given us a family, a home. We belong. We have this level of belonging that goes deep into our soul and our spirit and we have a home and we have a father and we have a family. I don't know how I can convince us all uh, that suffering is a good thing, that it's this gift that nobody wants, but it's this gift that does this purifying work that if we hold ourselves to obedience to Jesus while living these holy set-apart lives, while being these living stones, just showing, pointing people back to Christ, how good things are being produced in us if, if if we struggle long enough and care long enough and hold on to our love for Jesus for long enough, if we remind ourselves of the seasons where our hearts were so big and beating for Jesus and holding on until we get back there, that good things are coming. That good things are being produced in in you and and in me. And the one thought that I keep on going back to this whole entire week as I've been reading this comes in verse 3. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2 here talk about how you, because of your obedience to Christ, you're putting away malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You're putting these things away because we have this brotherly love that we were, that we talked about before, this sincere and earnest heart, this purity in our heart. And so we put all those bad things away because we're like newborn babies. We're small in our faith. Um, and we, we need this spiritual myth, but we long for real food, we long for meat, we long to grow up, and that and that what the thing that causes us to do this really the thing that causes us to mature and go deeper is, is in verse three. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Just like in the idea of of being sincere, only you can know in your heart if you have tasted that the Lord is good. For those of us who have maybe grown up in the church and never known a life outside of the church or with Jesus, have you had that moment in your life where you tasted for yourself this genuine goodness of Jesus? For those of us who did not grow up in faith and had this encounter and we met this, we heard about this Jesus or maybe we saw him in a dream or in a vision and we said, "Jesus, wow, Jesus, you are different. You are good. You are really good. I've tasted that you're good, and so everything else is ruined for me. We need to ask ourselves these questions because the, the, our answer to verse 3 is really what makes, allows us to mature and go deeper and push longer than we ever imagined we could and hold on to our faith in a way that we haven't up until now that if we tasted and seen firsthand that you'll be faithful to us Jesus that you'll be good to us Jesus and that and we'll allow that, allow that to inform every part of our being and all of our decisions and what we do with our heart that Jesus I want I want to grow up in you I want to be mature I want to look more like you today than i did yesterday and i really want to look different a year from now i want my whole heart to be different i don't want to be this person who works out for 12 days and then gives up because i can do five push-ups i want to do 100 push-ups i want to do 200 push-ups i want to keep on going i don't want to limit myself i also don't want the the pains of and the wounds of this world to keep me from growing in you because I want to be so devoted to you, Jesus, that I want to mature and grow up. I want to be peculiar enough that my life looks different so that people come up to me and say, well, what do you have? And I want it to please tell me where you found this difference. I, I I want our faith, I want my faith to be important enough that I'll say yes to losing the entire world if I ever had to because I still have my Jesus and I still have this these things that he's building. I, wanna, I want us and I feel God calling us as a church to mature in our faith, to go to places, to not be shaken by what we see, but to be able to practice forgiveness and humility and meekness and love and grace and mercy. Because as we see here in chapter, in chapter 2, the way it ends in verse 10, it says that once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I've received too much mercy in my life to not want to know mercy and extend it to other people. I have for way too long been that, Pedro, from that vision that Wanda gave me, who, who got his freedom, who, who Jesus paid for my freedom. I went up, I looked around only to bring myself back down to the things that I used to do or, or the mindset that I used to have or the pessimism that I used to have. I don't want to be better. I want to grow. I want to mature in my faith. I want to take up this identity that, that Peter gives us so far. Uh, Lord, I want to belong to you. I want to live in your home. I want you to so inform my heart and who I am that every week I'm looking different because of the work that you're doing. Every week I can handle more suffering without questioning you or more suffering and I learn how to give it to you so that you produce good things in me. I want to gird up my loins so that I can be ready to move, to fight for you, to fight for my heart, to be emotionally present, to be emotionally capable of handling all of these things that life throws our way. And so, church, I, I feel that call for us in this season, in our MCs, in, our, in the calls after church here, and everything that we do. Let's realize that we that we are living together in this home that God has made us to, and that he's called us to live these lives that are separate, set apart. And so in the same way that I, I feel like I still can't capture, I don't have the words to capture all of this, I want to finish with us a, a passage of scripture that Clara brought to the Heights MC this past week, that I feel like somehow encapsulates, encapsulates all of the mystery of the gospel and this thing that we're called to. And let that let this be the benediction for us this week. So let's receive this in, in a posture of prayer. You can close your eyes and put out your hands or do what feels natural to you, but let's receive this together. This comes out of Ephesians chapter 3. And it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen city life let's let's be this group this set apart people who live together in our in the spiritual home with one another pushing ourselves to go deeper and deeper opening our hearts and being vulnerable with one another be broken so that god can produce good things in us we love you we will be on these MC calls after after we're done here. And let's process more with our hearts and with our lives, with our experiences, how we can continually be maturing and, and walking deeper in our faith as we come back to First Peter next week and see what else he has for us to hold ourselves on so that good things are produced in us. We love you and I'll, I'll talk to you very soon. Bye church. Alright, so let, let's go over our prompt questions for the week. The first one is, what about your life looks peculiar, different, set apart? What, what is it that, that you know God has given you or the story or this experience in your past that you know has, that makes you look different? What is, it, what is it in your life that you can say, you know what, God has brought me out of this and so I look very different here? Question number two what emotion do you feel when you hear that god is building you a family one of the very real aims of this study of this series is for us to catch up emotionally for us to also be maturing emotionally to be able to handle everything that happens in our hearts and in our world and so what is the emotion you feel when I tell you, you know what, God has is building you a family for you to live in, a family that in your heart and in your soul you know you've always longed to be a part of. Question three. Why does God include priesthood in our calling? Out of everything that he could have called us to, and especially our modern idea of there's pastors and then there's normal people, why is he making us all into a priesthood? All right, so church, we love you. Let's jump on these MC calls. Uh, email me at Reese at citylifenj.com. If you do not belong to an MC, we want to be with you. We want to share this life with one another. So let's jump on these calls. Let's process this word together. And we'll see you next week or in our MC calls. We love you. Have a great week.